From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast, second ever live event. Uh, my name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the regular podcast that features new episodes with industry experts weekly. Uh, my co-host Joel won't be joining us on the audio today, but she'll be busy behind the scenes answering questions via the live chat on the Flourish TX YouTube page. She'll also be selecting some juicy audience questions for the panelists to answer in the last part of the show. Now, what I want to do is to introduce my co-hosts or panelists, I should say, for this episode. Uh, first of all, we're going to introduce Peter Kelly from the UK HSC. Let's bring him on. How are you doing, Pete? Yeah, good day. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. We uh up I from last you know, tell, him, tell him I'm an Australian. I've got my <laughs> longboard in the back. Look. Yeah, Still. I don't need to. I don't need to tell you that, Peter. That uh, you're uh, everyone that you're Australian. I think you're going to tell us about five times uh, over the next hour or so. Probably five times in the next minute. <laughs> and great longboard. So, um, what yeah. what took? Uh, how long have you been longboarding for? Uh, I started longboarding when I was fourteen and fifty four, and then I, I started again six months ago in the lockdown because uh, it was one of those impulsive buys on <laughs> on Amazon. Uh, yeah, I wiped out once, but the rest of the time I'm pretty much on it. Like it's just it's just like learning learning to sort of snowboard. Really, you just sort of get back on the board and you do your thing, and everyone just laughs at you because you're 54 and you're, you're skating down past your your, your house. And uh, nah, but you know, all about well being, Jason. It's all about well being. Well, I applaud you, mate. I'm 40 in a few months myself, and there's no way I'm getting on a longboard. I've had too many operations already. I don't want any more. So, uh, well done. No worries. I got the scars as well. <laughs> All right. Well, let's introduce um, the uh, lovely Marianne Bainton, the godmother of Psych Health and Safety, all the way from Canada. <laughs> Thanks for getting up early for us, Marianne. Hey, it was it was tough, Jason, but glad to be here. Yeah, are you caffeinated up? Yeah, I'm. I'm almost there. Almost there. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mentioned on LinkedIn that Peter definitely has the best time zone out of all of us. I think it's midday. It's uh, 7 p.m. for me and 7 a.m. for you. So um, you took the bullet for us. Thank you. <laughs> I've done 10,000 steps already and had a coffee. So I'm really, really pumped and ready to go. <laughs> uh, terrific. Well, uh, for the listeners, just to let you know how it's going to work. So Marianne, Peter and myself, we're going to have more of a fireside chat uh, this, this time. Um, for those of you who tuned into our last live event uh, about a month ago, we had Wade Needham do an amazing job at moderating. So good, in fact, that no one wanted to follow his act. So we thought, well, let's not have a moderator this time. Let's just the three of us try and have a chat. I'll try and keep Peter in check uh, and, and try and stick to some form of a rough agenda. Uh, so we'll probably have a chat for about 60 minutes uh, and then we will have 30 minutes for um, question and answers from the YouTube chat. So if you're on uh, live on, on YouTube, feel free to drop in a, a question in the live chat and Joel will be feeding us some of the best questions uh, to answer live. Um, so given that the 45,003 standard uh, came out just within the last few weeks, we thought this is going to be a great chance to to talk about this standard and uh, and Peter's holding up the BSI version of the standard um, and we're going to talk about that standard today. But given that both Peter and Marianne have been so instrumental in the development of their country's standards uh, that well preceded 45,003, we thought who else could be better in the world uh, to chat about the, the new standard with. So really thrilled and I really hope that all the listeners today get a, uh, a great, great, great information uh, out of today. 
but what we might do, um, the first thing we want to do on the agenda is to discuss, um, you know, why why psych health and safety and why do we need an international standard on this? And, and probably the, the best thing to think about to start with is some of the statistics that we've got in our various countries regarding uh, the state of work-related stress, anxiety, depression, and, and psychological injuries. So starting with Australia, I guess what we can talk about is that, you know, last reporting period for workers' compensation statistics from Safe Work Australia was the worst year on record. Uh, we had over 10,000 workers' compensation claims, which for a small population like Australia is actually quite a lot. It accounted for about 9% of all of our workers' compensation claims, but it's up about 50% from about five years ago. Now, Safe Work New South Wales, the state regulator over there, um, also had some really uh, interesting statistics over the last five years. So from 2015 to 2019, they tracked a 3.5% increase in physical injury claims. Now, 3.5% increase is pretty stable over, over five years, you'd think, for physical injuries. But when they looked at mental health claims, the increase was 53%, similar to what we we're seeing uh, nationally through Safe Work Australia. Um, so that's a, that's a massive increase, right? Which means that we've got a large and growing problem. Um, and in fact, when they looked at the average cost of these claims, they found that the average cost for a, a physical injury claim was about 21,000 Australian uh, versus 85,000 for a mental health injury. So what we're seeing in Australia, at least, is a uh, regular increasing uh, amount of psychological injuries versus uh, physical injuries, and the cost is going up as well. Um, so, yeah, some some uh, really interesting things here. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons, obviously, we've got things like codes of practices uh, coming out in, in Australia regarding psychological health and safety, while we've got uh, amendments coming to our regulations and, and WHS Model Act uh, regarding psychological injury as well. Um, but I might throw over to Peter. So what, what do the stats look like over in, in the UK, Peter? Uh, they're not good. Uh, sorry for my little dip out there. I hadn't plugged my computer in. So <laughs> we were 10 minutes from touchdown. Uh, so um, that's why I've, I've now plugged in. You've got me for the next hour and a half. Everything's not longer. Um, no, it, if you look at the UK and, the, and, and particularly in the, also in the EU, the, the numbers are, are, are just continue to go up and up. I mean, for example, uh, in October, we released the stats for last year, which were up to March, and we had 17.8 million days lost to work-related stress, depression and anxiety, 828,000 people off. Um, that was an increase of 3 million from the previous year and 200,000 extra people. And that was one week into the pandemic. So 57% uh, of all sickness absence in work is now related to depression, anxiety. Uh, and we're broadly seeing the same figures across the European Union. So uh, if someone thought there wasn't a problem, then they're clearly blind because the data is very clear in most countries and most of the regulators that obviously I work with other regulators are acknowledging this is the seminal occupational health problem of a generation. And uh, we've stuck our head in the sand and done nothing uh, really about it until now when we've got a fairly major problem. We've talked about this before, Jason, haven't we? You know, yeah. um, if this was asbestosis, uh, it would be, we would be absolutely ridiculed. Yeah, uh, really interesting, right? Like, I mean, the pandemic obviously has shone a light on on mental health in the workplace, uh, with all the changes that have occurred, and you know, the instant working from home that we had, we all faced around the world. Um, but as you're saying, all of these issues were there pre-pandemic, um, yeah. and obviously, what we're seeing now is that you know, this is probably just making the, the issues worse. But uh, Marianne, what what about in Canada? 
So I, I want to kind of flip some of this um, because before the pandemic, we did a national survey and we found that those organizations who were implementing the psychological health and safety standard not only had less than half the amount of employees saying that it was psychologically unsafe in their workplace, but they also had um, much more significant attendance from those who were actually living and managing mental health issues like depression. That in other words, that a safe workplace is one that supports productivity and performance. And of course, we're looking at the statistics here and anxiety is up, depression is up, but that is a normal reaction to a very abnormal situation, which is this life altering pandemic. And we feel that as we can help people to adjust to a psychologically safe workplace, that we will be able to bring those numbers back down to what is normal or even better. Yeah, uh, no, re really interesting, right? I mean, we're seeing the same things around um, all the countries and, and no doubt in, in the rest of Western society as well. Um, and then tell us, Pete, then what, what is the common approach to how we address workplace mental health? So, well, if you, uh, from a regulation perspective, it's looking at risk assessments and it's looking at uh, the the measures that you put in there to manage those 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 hazards. Um, but actually, what most people are doing is investing in the individual and not the organisation. So we're teaching people to be mindful. We're teaching them to be resilient. We're putting mental health first aiders in, and we're not actually looking at the source of stress which could be the workplace. Um, I once did a presentation and uh, just about to get up and there was a, an illustration that somebody wanted uh, strong, resilient fish in their pond. Uh, and, I just, and I went, okay. And um, Kerry Cooper was next to me, he was the keynote. And he sort of shoved me in the, in the ribs and said, I can't say anything. So I stood up and I went, in my, in my opinion, uh, I've killed loads of goldfish in my backyard, in my backyard pond, and it wasn't the fish that were, weren't resilient. It, they, I was told when the pond man came that the filter was gone and the filter was dirty. So it doesn't really, we do these individual issues, you're still putting people into a toxic organisation. They're going to eventually, uh, they're going to eventually be made ill. So uh, we have to move the focus from individual purely to individual plus organisational and secondary interventions which we'll talk about later yeah. so the, the common approach is to change the individual it looks a lot like the 90s doesn't it mary teaching people to cope remember the crystals we used to give to people make yeah. you feel better make you feel a little bit like empowered but actually don't, don't, doesn't do anything really to change the place so yeah, and we've definitely discussed that at length on, on the podcast, how the focus typically is on the individual, on symptoms rather than the systems that, you know, can can make them unwell. But would you say that's um, similar in, in Canada with the popular approaches, Marianne? Yeah, absolutely. And what, what was the very most common approach in Canada um, years ago before the standard was uh, introduced here is to send someone to the employee assistance program. And I'm a great supporter of employee assistance programs. I think they really um, offer a lot to people that may not have access to uh, support. But it, again, it just avoids dealing with the source of the issue if you're just sending them away to someone and thinking they're going to fix them and then send them back to you. 
And I just want to say, because I think it's so important that for organizations and for leaders who have never actually used their own uh, employee assistance program, that when you're sending people, because it's for people like you, it's for those people, it has a certain stigma around it. It has a certain um, air of, uh, you know, that it's not a good thing, that it's sort of a last resort. And my advice is that every leader should be calling up the EAP, trying them out, being able to say they answered the phone after this many rings, this was what the intake was like this is my experience of it so that you make it something that people are more likely to take advantage of but again as peter says that's not enough we have to think about those that are going away for treatment and coming back to the same toxic workplace and what can we do about changing the workplace or the goldfish pond whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah uh, it's a it's a great analogy. I've I've used that used, used that one myself. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. But I um, you copyrighted it, Jason. <laughs> you know me, I patent everything, Dave. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that is what we're seeing, right? But that's why we obviously have needed uh, more guidelines from ISO regarding what is best practice to how do we do workplace mental health? How do we keep people uh, healthy? Actually, one of the questions that has come in from um, YouTube already is, can you give me an example of what a psychological injury would be? Uh, and obviously, Peter, you would say something, hopefully, along the lines of uh, any time when someone actually has to take off time off work due to work-related stress, anxiety, depression. Um, then we also talk about workers' compensation injuries in which, you know, then it has to be uh, proven that at least 51% of the injury was due to work-related factors um, uh, to be compensable. Now, this is dead true. I mean, obviously, in the uh, in Australia, you can have a compensation uh, state. Is it national compensation scheme? Isn't it for psychological injury? We we don't have that here. Um, people have to go to court to uh, through the civil court to seek compensation and gain. But yes, yeah, psychological injury are those things that have contributed uh, where you've gone off work, and and the contributing factors are work related. So you might be in work and you're under excessive amounts of pressure. Uh, and that pressure becomes overwhelming and, and you are um, you you then report you work I can't do it anymore so in Jew versus Intel which was a really interesting case uh, Jew said I, I, I'm I, the workload is way too much I'm doing too much here and Intel at the time ignored that and Jew was successful in the compensation case so it's that sort of where you can show the relationship between the two events so in the court over here psychiatric injury has to be um, has to be shown to be connected, but not by the same level of criminal sort of support. So it's possible that this event and that event led to that outcome. So. Yeah, okay. Well, hopefully that clears it up for the audience member who asked that question. Um, but we're going to talk about 45,003 today. But the reason I really, really wanted the two of you on this panel today to talk about the new international standard was because you were so instrumental in the development of your own country standards. Uh, and interestingly, because we've had you both on, on our podcast, um, episode three for you, Peter, episode 10 for you, Marianne, um, apparently both standards originated from pubs. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Technically, mine was a bar. A bar, okay, yeah. yeah. In a very nice hotel. It was three place. bottles of wine, not, not, the, uh, <laughs> not the one. No, the, the three bottles of wine was, was a significant contributing factor to the standard, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so all, all on my own. There was three of us, so it's technically a bottle each. 
that, that is <laughs> interesting because it was three of us and we were in a hotel bar. So, uh, yeah, but we did drink beer, Peter. We weren't drinking wine. <laughs> my, my boss is a little bit posh at the time. So ah. it was, uh, we went we went for a, a couple of bottles of uh, he, this is the problem. He had French reds. You know, I'm Australian. I like myself Australian reds, as Jason knows. But I know I went, I, you know, it was uh, I think we had two, three Merlots. So it was a, a, a nice wine. But yes, not I'm saying I'd rec- recommend drinking Merlot if you're going to develop a national standard. It has to be a Shiraz, doesn't it, Pete? Yeah. 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 Um, Peter, Marianne, I, hope it was, I hope it wasn't Bud Light because I'm disappointed. You know, no, it was not. You it, do was decent I, it was worse. It was worse. You do decent IPAs in Canada. Yeah. Well, um, Peter, let's let's go back to 2004. Um, obviously, the the management standards were published back then in the UK. Uh, what what made um, the HSC decide it was a good idea to to publish standards on psychological health and safety? Well, in 2009, we had a change of government, and they were freaking out that we'd had uh, eight million days lost to work related stress. Um, and uh, literally got a call. We were at, at a conference. Got a call to say, uh, we want you to develop a, a national approach to tackling work-related stress. And that was at seven, about six o'clock. And we sat in, in this hotel bar. And over the course of three hours, we, we went from a small scale project to a full on national program of work. Uh, yeah, so uh, as I've told you, Jason, we didn't have any paper. So we wrote it on the back of some beer mats. Um, then we transferred it over to the computer the next day. Um, but we did it because actually the we were seeing this rise in sickness absence. In 1995, we had 6 million days. Then we were up at nearly 9 million in 99. And by the time we launched the standards, it was 12 million. So there was a progressive movement uh, there. Um, when we when we the first standard on, on demands was 34 pages long. Thought it was brilliant. It was a scholarly piece of genius, uh, except all the businesses that we sent it to, because a cohort of businesses had a, had a group in London, just unilaterally turned around as one and went, you're barking mad if you think we can do 34 pages. So the management standards, as we know, were were developed through masses of engagement with employers, trade unions uh, and, uh, and bodies. And we actually put them down to one page as direct feedback from the businesses. Um, because as scientists, we want to produce the best, but we had to do something that was relevant to the to the organisation. So uh, we did it because uh, we could see there was an emerging theme, there was an emerging area. And when we did launch in 2004, we, we, we were at 12, 12.5 million. And then by 2006, we were down to 9 million. So once you start getting involved at an organizational level on these areas you you do as as marianne will confirm you 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 get to see mark results you've seen that with your own standard haven't you people applying the standards um when you take your eye off the ball and then you you know other things come in as they do then that that tends to rise and uh, you know 17.8 is the worst on record um it's the worst on record. It's so my computer wants to do a restart, doesn't it? Uh, it's the worst on record uh, since we collected stats. So I guess um, if ever there was a time for the management standards and people say, are they relevant now? And I say, yes, they are. Demands control, role relationships, support and change are all part of organisations. Um, and if you begin doing the organisational bit, you'll make a difference. So 
Uh, I think that's a long-winded answer to a short question. No, that's all right. I mean, I think it's uh, really important to understand. I mean, ISO 45003 was developed with a lot of insight from uh, particularly the UK and Canada in the development of their own management standards, right? So it's useful, I think, for the listeners to understand um, how and why these things were developed. Because you've, got to, you've got to bring the businesses with you. You've got to bring the trade unions with you and you've got to bring other governments with you. You, have, you can't do it in isolation. So you have to be a diplomat, uh, a trade unionist, and and a business advocate all in one to, to you know to get to get this process out and we gave out I, we gave out a hundred thousand cds remember what cds were we gave out a hundred thousand cds at, at the tube stations in london on the day that we launched which was uh, so that's the kind of big uh, big sort of picture uh, our a senior uh, civil servant said i don't want to scout her i want the royal albert hall and it was so that was that was our delivery mode, you know, putting out CDs and pressing that. So, but you've really got to carry it on, and we've done a lot since then. Yeah. So if you go to our website, there's a mountain of stuff that you can get for free. Yeah, terrific. And Marianne, you were involved uh, heavily, obviously, with the development of the Canadian standard. Um, so tell us again, um, you know, why why was it decided uh, when the three uh, of you? I guess, founders of the standard, um, that it was time to do something about work, workplace mental health and take more of a psych health and safety approach. Yeah, I think we started a little differently because we started with the free stuff in Guarding Minds at Work. And once we had uh, a way for employers to do this without a huge cost, then we decided that a consensus-based, arm's length, credible national standard would um, encourage more people to do it. Whereas Guarding Minds was created with funding from Canada Life uh, a Corporation, we felt that something that was government-led, that was a consensus-based process and standalone would help. And then we also had a matrix which uh, mirrors what Peter said. We had uh, trade unions present. We had people from different interest groups, but it was a balanced matrix. So no one interest group could win, if you will. And so it was very much coming together, working together. When we went to the public for review of the standard, um, at that time, it was um, uh, unprecedented that they had 866 people respond with comments about it. And, and many of these were actually groups of people. And there was, there was a fair amount of resistance from certain groups because they were afraid this was going to tie the hands of organizations so that they couldn't even operate, that they certainly couldn't be sustainable. And some of that information was taken back. We really looked at it. Can the standard exist in um, organizations without it being onerous or a real burden? And uh, adjustments were made to make sure that that was true so that it wasn't hoops to jump through, but rather a support. And uh, what we found afterwards is that even these groups that were very resistive to the idea um, became supporters of it once they really understood that no we're not trying to make it impossible to run an organization but i think the biggest difference 
was when we were creating the standard, we were thinking about what we were going to call it because a lot of people were using the phrase workplace mental health. But that phrase brought up the same issue that we always had, that we're talking about those people, that we're not talking about the organization. And we chose psychological health and safety, which was not a common phrase back then, specifically to align with organizational or occupational health and safety to say the organization has a responsibility to um, protect uh, the employees that are there from psychological harm in the same way that they have a responsibility to protect from physical harm. And so very deliberate use of language to say that there was a responsibility. And what was really, um, really uh, paradigm smashing at the time was that there was a responsibility for leaders to be competent to support in a psychologically safe way. And there was a measurement of the organization for the impact that they were having on employees. And up until then, even the Occupational Health and Safety Act was more about the environment than it was about management. And so it really sort of shifted to say, we leaders and organizations have a role to play and have a responsibility. And that's why we call them the management standards, mm -hmm. because it put the onus on the individual and the management to work together, because traditionally people have just worked at the individual level. You change and we'll keep the process exactly the same way it is. Um, and yeah, so management is the key. And I don't know about you, Mary, but over the last few years, authentic, compassionate leadership has been at the forefront of the some of the biggest moves we've seen in health and well-being and uh, you know Canada Life took you know uh, I like complete respect you know as a, a as an insurer they came in and they could they could see it was it was beneficial to do this and that's what we've been trying to do in the background for uh, when we were launching the management standards was to get the was to get the actual uh, insurers on board uh, they did actually turn up once, four of them in grey suits, very traditional English. Um, and I walked up to him and I said, I've seen you at a couple of meetings. And I said, yeah. And I said, why are you here? And he said, well, you know, we were from the insurance industry. I said, well, I guess that. Um, but, but they said, you know what? We, we, we keep paying out claims. And what you're presenting here is a possibility of helping us to moderate that risk by actually make it that we can align uh, our health and well-being, you know, insurance policies with the fact that you should be, uh, you know, managing these risks. So br brilliant that, you know, Canada Life had the foresight to jump in there and uh, and do that. I know we had some early conversations. This is about oh, 12 years ago with some people from Canada at the time about the standards. So um, wonderful to see. As usual, you guys have maxed it and took it to the, the next level, which is where I would have wanted to go. Um, but we, we weren't able to do that the same level that you've done with yours. Yes. Just to say, though, we studied um, the health safety risk. No. What's your standard called? We studied the UK. Uh, yeah, there's stress, stress management standards or management. Yeah. Um, Dr. Martin Shane, in particular, yeah. was very familiar with it. And we spoke to some of the people that were involved to say, yeah, what would was, you do differently now? So. 
There were the three oh, of us in a meeting in an office. Yeah, and he he came over. The two of them came because there was another a gentleman from Canada who came. Yeah, over. No, no. That's it. And we sat in an office and we had that we had that exact conversation. Uh, yeah, so it was. Uh, yeah, I was super jealous when he was explaining what he was going to do because I was like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. But you know, we have edged away at this because of we're in a, in a different sort of cultural environment over here but you know we will win we'll get it <laughs> yeah one of the things that we said because there were 30 some people on our technical committee and we said that nobody got exactly what they were hoping to get but everybody got something that could be used by a hundred percent of the organizations in Canada so it, that consensus building was really interesting and it was like a microcosm because we worked really, really hard. And yet we were respectful of differences of opinions. Everybody was able to speak up and to have what uh, Martin Shane calls safe voice. And so we were experiencing a high functioning, hard working, psychologically safe team while we were creating the standard. It's an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, same here. <laughs> we're a team of four now, but when we developed the standards, we were 24. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, again, kudos to Canada Life for putting that money behind the Canadian standard and guarding minds at work. Um, amazing, and definitely in some of the conversations we've been having recently with um, uh, insurers both here in Australia and overseas, there is that obviously, um fear uh, of that rapid trajectory we're seeing of psychological injuries and the cost associated with these as well. Uh, and insurers obviously are highly incentivized to work with their clients to help reduce claims. And they're now saying that the wellbeing approach clearly isn't working and they need to take more of that risk management approach. Let's get down to the source of these issues versus dealing with the symptoms after the fact. So insurers are gonna be doing a lot in the future. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what some of the people really high up said is, uh, sure, it might reduce claims, but our issue is that the the people never really got better if the workplace was toxic. And so, you know, it's heartbreaking, even for insurance people, to see someone continue to suffer. And uh, so, yeah, there was it was it was certainly more the money that uh, was incentivizing some of the people in the organization to get behind this. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. Yeah, the moral uh, obligations of, of these groups as well. Um, and I guess the sustainability thing that a lot of people are interested in, you know, um, how, how we're building ESG and, and particularly that social element. There's a question in here, which we'll answer in the question se section, which I'm itching to answer. Oh, you can answer, about... answer it now if you like. Well, it's, uh, um, Peter Kelly just made a mention health and wellbeing. Is wellbeing an additional to health? i.e. health is part of the standard, but well-being is a separate thing. When well-being was a, a first pushed forward over the last 10 years, we've seen this term health and well-being. It was uh, it started out with the absence of Ill, mental ill health. That we, 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 if people didn't have mental health, but they, they were healthy psychologically, then their well-being would be, would be improved. What well-being is now is a, a cacophony of different interventions, is it not? Financial, environmental, physical, psychological. And actually the well-being, the term well-being now it's expanded from its original thing. Uh, I, I believe it is that if we create the right work environment, we promote health. 
and we don't incubate ill health, which is what we are doing most of the time. So if we promote health, then uh, we see an association in people reporting that their well-being, their psychological well-being has improved, but their financial well-being might not have improved because they still might be on a rubbish wage. But they're, but do you see what I mean? So that, that's kind of like, uh, so yeah, it, the well-being as we know it is being redefined and, uh, and I think that's really important, you know, um, but we have to hold on to creating healthy workplaces. Uh, I'm sorry, but I don't believe in the 21st century, we should have places that actively make people ill. Did you, did you actually sign up to a contract that says, I'll make you ill? Because if you did, then you're mad, because you shouldn't have signed the contract. You know the what I mean? irony, that yeah, Peter, the irony of it all is all of the literature is showing us that psychologically safe workplaces, on average, are more profitable. So it's not, it's not about being nice. It's not about, you know, being a bleeding heart leader. It's about if you want to get the most out of your employees, if you want to maximize their energy, maximize their productivity, this is the way that you do it. But what we know is that, uh, that, that some leaders think, well, I have to be nice all the time or I can never demand anything. And it's, that's not what it is. It is about making it safe to speak up and helping people to do their best while they're at work, which promotes well-being. Right? And that's, that's really important. I've seen leaders who are running multinational companies have got out and said, I just can't handle it at the moment. Uh, I need some time out. Yeah. And you know, because they've said that, because they've been real, because they've been genuine about it, the organisation said, we'll get behind you. The Danish Prime Minister, the Danish Prime Minister goes off with depression and the entire cabinet goes to his summer house to be with, uh, to get, you know, to run the government from there at government meetings. You know, I, I, did the, you know, the, did the Danish country disappear because their, one of their, their Prime Minister had depression and anxiety? No. And it's, it is this, it's that being real and lived, you know, and we're all, remember this, we are all leaders yeah. in all of our groups. We can lead from the front by being genuine and open and compassionate. I'm going to go off on one there, so I'm going to pull it back, Jason, because yeah. I know there's, a, there's a list of questions here. And oh, we'll, we'll get, we'll, <laughs> we've we've got 25 up. minutes and we're about yeah. a third of the way through. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, really what we wanted to get to today, obviously, was more talking about the new international standard, which um, Peter obviously had a bit to do. Uh, with and, and I think Marianne had some questions for you uh, about yes. that. So, Peter, with this international standard, tell me how you feel that it differs from the UK standard, the Canadian standard, and what you think it has to offer organizations. No, I mean I think it's um, it's it's a logical evolution of the work that we've all been doing as independent countries, um, in that actually it brings together. Um, the different approaches, so the management standards, your standards, the Australian standards have been developed, the ones in um, total worker health in America, um, and some of the standards that are coming out of Asia as well. And it brings them together in one place and says, okay, what would, it, what would an international standard look like? So it incorporates elements of all of the standards, but in a structured way. So it, it's similar in, 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 in its approach to 45,001, which was a safety management system for health and safety. So this is really a health management system for health and safety, for psychological health and safety. Um, it was a long three years. 
of, of meetings and conversations and lots and lots of uh, just, uh, debates, uh, which, which, which are always good fun, you know. You, but uh, yeah, so it, it, I think it puts it nicely into an over, overarching perspective. And I'm, you know, I've, I'm happy after three years to say actually the content that's in this stand does reflect uh, some of the best practices that you will see. And it does give you a systemic approach to it. And it does address some of the inadequacies of all of our standards, which didn't necessarily have the the, the, the high level of, of support we've got here from multiple countries. 74 countries involved in developing that. So 74 countries couldn't possibly have agreed on uh, the level of intervention to management styles, management rights. So tell us a little bit about how countries that are used to more autocratic um, organizational command and control style uh, were able to come to a compromise. Through a lot of discussion, a lot of debate, um, really, you know, we have the. If you look at the standard and you follow the standard, it's a very systemic approach, and it's very, uh, you know, it's aligned with forty-five thousand and one's hierarchy of control, and that's generally accepted uh, across most, reg um, almost all regulatory authorities, is a hierarchy of control model. But what it does is it brings in the other elements which is psychological health and safety which we talk about are these primary secondary and tertiary elements of the organization the the the, the promotion of health and the treatment of people which is a tertiary element uh, and if you look in the management stand so if you look in the standards you will see uh, under under hierarchy control it will describe actually most of the initiatives that are here uh, what we call primary, secondary, tertiary, which we'll cover, or Jason will cover later, because he does it a lot better than me, because I just waffle. Um, but yeah, it, it 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 was a long time coming, and there was several times in the meeting where you've really, really got to stick with your point. Um, uh, but you know, you compromise and you engage, and uh, and then you come out with something that you universally accept. We were up at, in some cases, at three multiple time zones. We were up at like. 11 o'clock to one o'clock in the morning so other people didn't have to be up so we we were shifting the time frames around and when we were meeting we'd be meetings for 10 hours a day um and have an hour break and a, and a couple of coffee breaks but it would be small groups and then into a bigger group to negotiate and then back out yeah yeah, so. yeah but it to me it's amazing that you were able and your group was able to come to that consensus that you were able to get the buy-in. And when I look at this new standard, um, yeah, I'm very proud of the work that all of you did and, and that we can start to change um, organizations around the world rather than just in our countries. Somebody asked me, well, why is Canada doing this when your organizations are pretty safe anyways? And my answer is because somebody has to do it. Somebody's got to lead and look at where y your group took that. Uh, it's, yeah. it's an amazing thing. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to bring up is that um, on the Canadian standard, we have a, a, the annex is bigger than the standard. And in it are all sorts of helpful resources and approaches to um, really implementing the standard and being able to do it. 
And uh, I think, Jason, some of the stuff that you're working on is really going to help people with this standard to be able to implement. And that's that's what they need is that kind of support. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll come to, we'll come to that in a in a little bit, Marianne. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my computer is insisting on restart, and if it does restart, I'm going to come in on my personal computer on the on on the link. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know how to stop this thing. It keeps saying I want to restart in five minutes. It's it's just screaming at me. So if it does happen, I'll come in uh, about a minute later. Okay, not a problem. We'll we'll cross that bridge if if we come to it, Peter. Um, but uh, yeah, no. Let's uh, let's hear more about the uh, the standard and its development, hey? Oh, yeah. So Peter, when when you um, have released the standard now, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping will happen with it, and how do you expect organizations to leverage it? Well, we're hoping that organizations will apply it to their own standards. So in Canada, you would attach it to your, your Canadian standards. In, in the UK, we would attach it to the management standards. And actually, it gives you a formal structure and a system to do it. So we're hoping that it will go into the existing regulatory framework or the, or the existing uh, programs of work that are there. So um, that, that, that's the hope. Uh, for those organizations that have not done it, then what we're going to, um, you know, they, they maybe they don't have these approaches. I think it starts that conversation, gets people going, um, you know, and uh, so it, we, there is a simplified version of it as well, because obviously it's 34 pages long that you can have a look at. Um, Jason's been providing some excellent training for an hour, uh, uh, which, you know, which takes you through on what, what, you know, you can expect to find and what you need to do. So yeah, I think it's the, the, the promotion stuff is there. So yeah. If you were to describe it as in, in the Reader's Digest version, how would you describe to somebody who has no idea about these standards, what it is and what's in it? What I would say, it's effectively a roadmap for what you need to do to find, your, to find, uh, to find yourself uh, looking at psychological health and safety. The thing is, right, when we started out in this pandemic, people didn't really talk about psychological, did they? We didn't really cover psychological health. It was one of those woolly things. But we, we've done it because we've been doing it. We've, we've been doing it for years. But, um, but what we find is now you can talk about the word psychological. You can talk about stress. You can talk about mental health. So I think really to describe it to people it's it, it's a road it's a it's a map it's almost a road map of taking you through that process uh, and actually at the heart of it is conversations at the heart of its engagement it's about spending it's it's about listening to your people finding out what the issues are and working with them through through that yeah it's it really it's the plan do check act model Absolutely. which um, we're all familiar with and i think the difference is we're we're using that model to Think about how we interact with people, because really, isn't that what psychological health and safety is? Just how we interact with people on a daily basis. And, it, you know, one of the things that uh, we talk about is that it's not enough for the leaders to be psychologically safe. It has to come down to how the employees treat each other as well. And I love how uh, the standard the, that you created breaks it down um, even more than what the Canadian standard did into all of the little elements 
that do impact psychological health and safety, both internally and externally? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the aim at the end. I, throughout the process, I said, who is this for? Is it, is it for the standards people or is this for businesses? Because if this is for businesses, it's got to be in a language that businesses understand. It can't be in our terminology and our understanding of what that means. Um, you know, and and I think that's been that's been absolutely, you know, key is is getting I've, you can ask anyone on the standards committee. I always was on a language is super important in this area. Get the language right, get the, then then that'll be really important. So um it's, it's funny, isn't it? The ability to listen and think and talk is a human emotion. And we go to work and we go, oh, geez, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> why? Why can't you do it? Why can't you be, go in and ask somebody at work, how are you traveling? How's your day going? You know, uh, it, and it's that kind of, that, those sort of general conversations. But then that's just the one level, isn't it? The other is make sure the work is designed so it improves, it, it actually sustains people and keeps them healthy. Or just... At least don't make them ill. <laughs> you know, um, we put a guardian on a machine because it's an obvious risk, don't we? Yeah. You put your hand in there, it's gonna, you, you're going to get your fingers chopped off. And for me, with the mental health, if you create workplaces that, uh, that are toxic, something's going to happen. The fingers that may, may not drop off, but they, they will go ill. Or in, in some cases, we know toxic work environments have higher rates of accidents. Why? Because people... Are not in, not really engaged. They're, 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 they're under pressure. They're making new mistakes. And it's been my experience, and I'm curious if it's been yours too, that most employers want to do this. They just get stuck on how. And so the whole idea behind these standards is, as you say, give them a roadmap, give them the how so that we make it easy for them to do it rather than say, well, you should just know. You should just know how to be psychologically safe. Wait, I mean, do we? <laughs> the point, you teach your kid to ride a bike, right? What do you do? Do you push them down the, well, Jason might do this. Do you push them down the hill? <laughs> or do you grass, go, grass, grass hill maybe, Pete. Yeah, grass hill maybe, yeah. Uh, or do you stand by them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. I'm, I just think sometimes it's that kind of you stand by and you sit, you you work with your people and you work together and you you consult and you you come together and you find compromise. Here's a revelation: when you do an intervention and your people decide what that intervention is, it's normally not going to cost you much money. Well, and, think and I cost think a lot of money, but you know, yeah, I think here in Canada that um, some employers looked at the standard. And it just seemed overwhelming. It's only 15 pages, but it seemed overwhelming to them that there is so many checkboxes and so many thou shall. And, and yet what we say to them is this is just a framework. It's a guideline to help you. And that what you really have to do is understand what psychological safety is and what it isn't and be able to start that journey anywhere that you can. And one of the ways to start is 
what can you do around psychological health and safety that's in support of your organizational goals and objectives anyways, rather than thinking you have to start at clause one and go all the way through. And when I looked at this newest standard, I feel again that just skimming through it and picking up different parts that really align with what you're doing anyways or fit in would be a great start without having to commit to the entire thing right now when you're working at getting people back from what's going on. Starting the conversation. Right. Just right. start the conversation. Um, oh, I don't know if we should start the conversation. And like, really? Generational impact on mental health? If you just start the conversation now, you've got 10 years of rubbish ahead of you. I, it's, I mean, maybe that's being a little bit sort of critical, but we, it, it's got to start now. Yeah, Peter, somebody asked me, how can you see burnout or mental health issues when it's virtual? And I said, you can't see them. You have to hear them by having discussions about coping strategies and about the challenges at work and about how what kind of help that you need. If those conversations happen regularly, then you can hear. If somebody yeah. is struggling, you don't necessarily have to see, but if that's not part of your conversation, then it's going to be awkward and it's going to be a one-off when somebody's struggling. Embed it in every team discussion. You know, how are you going? How are you how are you dealing with this stress? How are you coping with everything that's going on? So we can revolutionize it without a lot of money, without a lot of even effort. Yeah, I, found a work, Jason, I found a workaround. Every five minutes, I have to click this button. So I found a workaround. <laughs> yeah, keep uh, it alive, Pete. Um, but yeah, both of you yeah. mentioned uh, that importance of consultation, right? Um, like risk risk assessment can be as simple as how are you going and, you know, what are the things that are causing you grief or stress that I can help you with as a leader, you know? Um, and that other piece that you said, Peter, like that might be something that's very simple to do is what would you suggest? If you're in my shoes, how would you make work? better you know yeah. i mean that uh, that brings me to my question though which is i mean how how would you do psychological psychosocial risk assessment how is it typically done because that's the interesting question is it not jason yeah so um uh look the the way it's it's typically done i think can be quite burdensome to uh to organizations um often there's a you know a long survey involved if we're talking about a large organization um uh, often you know we hear the objection around survey fatigue um and you know I, I think i think there's ways around it and in fact uh, i might be talking about another live panel soon where we talk about this in, in more detail uh but i'm i'm more actually more interested peter um because uh, you know we've done something that we're making available for free really interesting to see that iso recently made it at least free to to view the standard not download it they weren't that generous that you could download the standard but you could read it online um but i, I really think like Marianne said there's this translation piece. You've got the standard, but some people look at it and their eyes either glaze over or they get only fifteen pages. <laughs> Even if it's only fifteen pages, right, Marianne, you know, people will go, yeah. Well, that that's too difficult. And so you need an annex to go, Well, this is how you practically adopt it. And we thought, well, let's get with two thousand and twenty one and let's create an e learning course on on the standard. And I gotta say that Joelle was the one who actually uh, took the bullet for our team and for about a month 
took 45,001, the parent standard, and 45,003 side by side and really worked out how do we actually describe to people what is this new standard, how does it fit under the, the existing safety management system standard, and what would someone need to do practically to actually adopt, uh, adopt the standard. Um, and so that training um, that we've made available is, um, I'll just put it up here on the screen now, um, it is uh, available at 45003.org. Uh, um, so that is something that uh, is, again, free, freely available. Um, and people can go on it and, and do it. We've had, uh, since the, we, we launched it on the day the standard was published. So only three weeks ago. And we've already had 1,600 people actually enroll in, in that course. So there's a, a lot of interest in, in this topic of, of psych health and safety. And obviously, um, you know, the standard is standing on the, uh, the shoulders of giants uh, in the management standard and the Canadian uh, national standard on psych health and safety at work. Um, and so what we've done is, is basically uh, provided an annex like you've got for the national standard there, Marianne, um, but put it in a format that I guess people are, are, are now used to seeing and, and makes it really digestible. And Joelle's done a heck of a job in really talking about how it aligns to the parent standard 45,001. So I like, I like to think of it as beauty and the beast, Jason. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and also Joel or 45,003 and 45,001. <laughs> no, I think uh, 45,001, 45,003, that wouldn't be very good, would it? Um, yeah, no, uh, it, you know, it's a wonderful hour of taking people in and simplifying it. Um, although I do think that that t shirt that you're wearing in the video is very tight. Um, so I yeah, it's time for me to go on a diet again. I think Pete, thanks for putting that. That's fine, but uh, yeah, I think uh, you know it's a good. I know I put it up on my LinkedIn, as you know, and, and shared it with people, and they've, they've really sort of appreciated it. Um, but it is making it making it simple, making it clear for what people understand, and um, and I, and yeah. So I think you know we're coming towards the oh the, the, the half an hour of questions. I love this because that's completely out of your control then. So I can answer any questions. Yeah, no, Joel will be choosing the questions that we get to answer shortly. Yeah, but um, what I might do is is throw over to to Marianne just briefly before we take questions uh, from the audience. Um, and I just wanted to to ask you a few questions because obviously the national standard of Canada probably is the standard that most closely resembles um, the forty five thousand and three standard. So. Um, uh, given your experience and seeing how companies in Canada have adopted your national standard, uh, what would your advice be for companies wanting to adopt the new international 45,003 standard? Uh, really to start where you're at, to think about what you would like to be different and then scan the standard, take the training, figure out what would be best in support of your organization. I mean, certainly what Dr. Jody Samra calls the full meal deal, doing all of it is great for organizations who have those resources, that bandwidth to be able to do it. But don't delay starting to address psychological health and safety because you don't have the ability to do it all just find something and one of the things that i say is just ask the question how will this this change this policy this process this interaction affect psychological health and safety of the employees that are here and if you ask that question and really start to learn what the answer is to it you can make big changes 
And then the other thing that I've said before, and, and I say all the time is look at what your organizational goals are and consider what approaches to psychological health and safety would support those goals. So if your only goal is to increase sales, then we know that emotional intelligence helps has a direct correlation to an increase in sales. So help boost the emotional intelligence of your sales staff. You will improve psychological health and safety and you're supporting your goal. And we could do that with almost any goal that an organization has. We can help them to see how um, approaches to psychological health and safety can be in service of that. So there's yeah. lots of ways to start, but start. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess you have seen, obviously, a lot of companies try to, to adopt the standard. And, you know, maybe that's in part, maybe that's a full meal deal. Um, but what are some of the common reasons they fail? So often that they want the the entire project. And what happens is you have a senior leader who's really behind it. And then that leader leaves and the person that comes in goes, no, I have other priorities. There's other things that I want. And if we embed psychological health and safety in our existing policies, in our existing processes, in our existing leadership training, in our existing employee training, then it, you can't throw it out as easily when there's a different priority. It becomes part of how we do business rather than a separate initiative. So that, that barrier is the largest. I don't see money um, funding as a barrier because most of this can be part of business as usual. But I do see when someone's taking it on as a huge separate project that resources can be a problem because you most organizations don't have the ability to devote a full-time person to this to manage it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what I've been saying to organizations, particularly the larger ones, right? If you've got a health and safety team that comprises 10 professionals, um, knowing the typical incidents, incident rate of uh, psychological injuries, then at least one in 10 of, of those people should be devoted to this kind of area and have some subject matter expertise. Interestingly, mm -hmm. I was chatting with someone the other day, they're in a company of 20,000 uh, people. They've got a team uh, of internal people on psych health and safety now. So I've got a leader and, and then three people in her team. So amazing how companies are resourcing this now. Yeah, and in our standard, we suggest that the team be from every single level. So frontline employees, um, middle management, upper management, the union, um, the joint health and safety committee, because it doesn't matter how great the leaders are. They could stand on their head doing everything exactly by the book, by the standard. But if employees are not treating each other in a psychologically safe way, you're not going to have a psychologically safe organization. So it's to me, this is the good news is that it's not all on management, that it is something that every person has to have a responsibility for. So that if you do it in that way, that everyone has a responsibility, then it's much less pressure on, on management and it's much more effective. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's using those levers that are there, you know, so you've got a large organization, make mental health um, 
a KPI on which people report. If you've got, uh, do you know what I mean? We were originally, when the Thriving at Work report came out, which was um, Stevenson and Farmer, uh, which is their review, the recommendation uh, from Dennis Stevenson, who's in the House of Lords, that KPIs should be set for mental health and, and, and for the promotion of mental health. Now, if you do that, then that gets a larger organisation. But from the smaller perspective, it's actually making the workplace the kind of place that you want to go and go home from and still feel OK. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, it, it's really it's important to, to have that. And there are different ways. You know, you, if, you've got, if you've got trade unions, use your trade unions, get behind your trade unions and, and get them to realise, actually, this isn't a tool of government or a tool of, the, of management. This is an effective way of getting the work environment right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a trade union myself, and I do have very candid and open conversation with trade union reps across the uh, in the UK. Don't see this as a as as something that adding a burden. See it as a, a key to opening the doors to get better workplaces for people. Yeah. That, that KPI, key performance indicator, is so important because, of course, whatever we measure, people are going to do. But the other piece for leaders is to understand that psychological health and safety is not asking you to be a mental health expert. In fact, we say it's not even ethical if you happen to be a mental health expert for you to be diagnosing, treating or counseling your own employees. So being held responsible for psychological safety means that your employees feel safe to speak up about concerns, to speak up about things that are going on in the workplace. And being measured on that means that you will continue to operate in a way that makes it safe for people to speak up. And it's not it's not what a lot of leaders think it is that I have to be that caring, compassionate person all the time. And I have to know when somebody's depressed. No, you just have to have a safe environment where someone who's struggling could speak up. Exactly. Yeah. It's good to talk, isn't it? Remember, remember British Telecom ran a campaign with Bob Hoskins. It's good to talk. Um, and I remember saying that when I had a conversation with BT, it's good to talk. And it, it is all about that. Start having a conversation, destigmatize mental health, put uh, put mental health like any other risk in the workplace, address it, talk about it, engage with your employers, um, standard health and safety. And we've got some wonderful questions in here, Jason, that are going to take us yeah. into, into some really fascinating areas. And, this, it's just to, to, before we move on to the question, just want to summarize a couple of things that you guys have been talking about. And I think they're really important points. So psychological health and safety, first of all, is not something that management do to employees. Um, we really need that broad representation of the company and you really need uh, employees to buy into that process. So you need to involve them at all, all steps. It's, if you think about risk management, obviously consultation is key element of, of the whole process. Um, and so involve employees and their representatives throughout the process. And the second thing that Marianne, you said is, um, you know, to guard against this losing steam in case you have key personnel turnover, um, you really need to incorporate it into your business practices. How do we operate? Um, and so within our own Flourish DX guide around psych health and safety, we talk about, you know, incorporate it into your health and safety uh, policy. You know, don't create a, a separate psychological health and safety policy or mental health policy. Go, well, as an organization, we're going to commit you know, to asking people periodically, how are they doing and what are the psych hazards that might be, you know, making them stressed at work so that we can intervene. 
we are going to commit to providing people education. If we're going to, not going to eliminate the sources of work-related stress, and we're going to at least teach them how to keep themselves healthy, yeah, and how to how to um, you know to respond and report psych hazards as well. So, you know, make those commitments in your health and safety policy, so that that's the way that we do things right, rather than a key person leaving, and you know we've lost all the all the steam behind this in, initiative. So Jason, I just want to add one of the fears that many leaders have is if I ask someone how they're doing, they might tell me. And then what? You know, if they say I'm I'm dealing with bipolar disorder, well, I don't know what to say to that. And and my advice is you're not trying to say anything to that. You're trying to ask questions. What do you need? What do you need in order to be able to come to work, do a good job and leave at the day at the end of the day with energy left over with this condition? And to the extent that I can help you be successful at work, I will help you. And for everything else, whether it's your personal, your health, your treatment, your relationships, your finances, then I'll link you to resources because I'm not the best person to do that part. I can help you to do your job if you're able to be at work and I'll link you to the rest. It's that simple. It's not about you being able to solve their problems. Yeah, I really want to get the questions, Peter, because I know you're chomping at the bit. Um, <laughs> but um, again, Marianne, you point out something really important. I mean, people can become mentally unwell due to a range of reasons. It might be genetic predisposition. It might be some individual circumstances. It might be a macro event like a global pandemic or economic uncertainty. Um, but the only thing the employer can control is the work-related factors. You know, how how is work designed? How is it managed? So their responsibility is that bit. And if we do that bit well, if people are stressed due to other other reasons, then hopefully at least we can alleviate some of the cumulative stress on, on the person because we know it's that cumulative effect of multiple stresses from all areas of life that ends up being the thing that usually is the thing that makes people ill. Um, so, uh, Marianne, I think we have lost uh, Peter. He, his computer <laughs> finally did restart, but uh, we'll hopefully get him back on in his personal computer in just a moment. Uh, but what I want to do is maybe turn over to some of the questions from the audience that Joelle um, is has been doing and um, or has been getting from all of the comments. And it looks like we've had about 100 or so comments so far, which is amazing. Um, but the first question I want to ask you is um, uh, regarding uh, stigma. Um, and so maybe I'll, I'll leave some of the ISO specific ones until Peter gets back. But um, this one here is a, is a good one for you. So what is the number one thing employees can do to reduce the stigma of employees opening up about a mental health problem? Open up yourself about your own mental health. Uh, my saying is we all have mental health issues. Some of us have a diagnosis and some of us don't. But we all go through times where we have repetitive thoughts where we're not sleeping well, where we can't focus well. And as leaders, um, Brene Brown has this term, confidently vulnerable. If we can start ourselves talking about, you know, today's a rough day for me. I lost somebody or I um, just am not feeling like I'm focused and this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm dealing with this. If we can start it, and make it part of the discussion, we can reduce stigma because it's part of the human condition, mental health, not, and, and mental ill health is part of the human condition. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't say it better myself. Um, 
the uh, another thing is uh, is about the use of um, uh, of language, and we've we've got Peter back. Well, well done, Peter. He's on his uh, personal computer. Uh, I think it, it's one nil to the government. Uh, couldn't couldn't stop it from shutting them down. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, this question's uh, an interesting one uh, around, I guess, uh, and and language. I think does help either perpetuate or can help to extinguish stigma. Uh, in the standard, the terms mental health and psychological health are used interchangeably. Do you see a distinction and how do we begin to control the language around this standard? Hey, Who are you asking, Jason? Oh, I might ask Peter, seeing as he just come back. Great. Do I think there's a difference? Uh, I think the term mental health and psychological health are, are one and the same. I think uh, we use the word psychological health in this standard, but what we're looking for is uh, is people's mental health who's creating mentally healthy workplaces. So um, if your mental health's impaired and your psychological health impaired, the outcome is exactly the same. So um, they are interchangeable. It's a language issue. But I think we should be moving to psychological health. Uh, that's uh, how you'd expect that of me because I'm a psychologist, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so I would be more, more inclined. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, we specifically because we talked a lot about do we use mental health and psychological safety, which I think is are two different things, right? Psychological safety is the responsibility of the organization to do no harm, whereas mental health is often associated with mental illness. And when we say psychological health, we wanted people to say, what are you talking about? Because psychological health is the well-being of every human being, not just those that may have a diagnosis. So we wanted it to bring people away from mental health is about mental illness to we're talking about everyone. It, I liken it to, you know, if we have chemicals in the air that are hazardous to our health, those with asthma are probably more vulnerable. If we have... Um, psychological risk in a workplace, those with mental illness are more vulnerable, but all of us can be negatively impacted. So we wanted the language to be more inclusive. Yeah, and I, I, I'm always going back to the simplicity of the languages, which is important. And I think at the moment, um, we have a, a little bit of effort to get people to understand the term psychological health. Um, but, you know, I think there'll be that interchange between the two. Um, certainly mental health is not the absence of mental illness. If, if you look at the World Health Organization, it, it's, it's, there are quite a useful description of what we describe as mental health. And it's way more bigger uh, than the continuum of mental illness. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a language issue, isn't it? Um, to be honest, as long as we get people talking about mental health and talking about what we can do to create a work environment where people uh, grow and, and sustain, I think that's important. Am I clear, Jason? Because obviously my my very can... useful broadcasting mic is not connected to this. Yeah, no, it sounds perfect, Pete. No, thanks for that. No, um, yeah, just... high definition. Oh, always look beautiful, Pete. 
Um, so, so um, interestingly, uh, Marianne, I've noticed that you've used psychological safety and psychological health and safety interchangeably here as well. And, you know, they, they are quite different terms as well. So there is, yeah, they, they mean quite, very, quite different things. So psychological health and safety, when we talk about that, obviously we're talking more about risk management applied to understanding and controlling psychological hazards. Um, and then psychological safety is that feeling that you can speak up without um, threat um, basically, uh, or have voice within within an organisation. We often joke here at People Diagnostics is way too much psychological safety because Joel just rags on me too much. Um, <laughs> so uh, they're, they're very different terms. And I think we need to get, to, I think language is really important to get right. Um, but uh, similar to yourself, Marianne, and, and the decision made by Canada, uh, I think it was very wise not to use the term mental health in the standard because uh, of the connotations that people have. So even though the World Health Organisation, as you point out, Pete, um, actually put it in, in a very positive way, what is mental health? And they talk about well-being, don't talk about illness at all. Um, people still have that connotation. So psychological health at least is a bit different. And definitely here in Australia, the Institute of Health and Safety um, has um, put out uh, a paper last year on this and they have said that the preferred terminology is psychological health and psychological injury uh, if someone wants to get injured at work due to uh, work-related stress. So yeah, like, I think language will go a long way to helping to address some of the stigma and make it more inclusive, I guess, for people and, and understanding exactly what it is that we're talking about. As long as um, we've got a clear definition of what we mean by the term, the language, and I think that's, uh, you know, stigma arises because of ignorance. And yet if you go on, um, if you go through uh, the last 15 months, every day someone is talking about mental health in the papers, on the news, you know, it's, it's out there. They're talking about people's mental ill health. But they're also, interestingly enough, because I uh, we did a critical piece, well, not me, I did a, a critical piece of the press, and I said, if you constantly concentrate on the negative, people's mental health will be impacted. Whereas actually there are a lot of other people who are having a, a different mental health experience during the pandemic. They've learned new things. They're learning skills. They've learned to appreciate things that they, that they didn't appreciate before. I mean, I actually bought a book on birds I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a twitcher, but having spent all of this time in the garden and feeding uh, the birds, I wanted to know who I was feeding and, uh, and, and stuff like that. So, so there are elements where this pandemic may be brought out some of those positives in terms of, uh, but, you know, yes, but there are most of the time uh, people's, people have had a, 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 you know, a difficult experience when you talk to people. Yeah. Well, one thing I will just point listeners to very quickly, if they're interested in understanding more about language and appropriate language is the AIHS um, position paper. We will put a link to the show notes in the podcast, at least uh, to that paper, which really talks about this as a language you should be using to talk about these sort of things. So uh, a very quick question that I'll just deal with very quickly is, uh, are there checklists available, which can be used to audit organizations based on the new ISO? Um, not, not checklists to audit necessarily, but Joelle Mitchell, again, um, our in-house expert on ISO 45003 and 45001, uh, has created something which we call the Flourish Factor. Um, there is a video on this on the 45003.org website, and it is uh, basically distills the standard down to 23 uh, elements, basically, um, that you can uh, work through in order to adopt the, the whole meal deal, if you like, Marianne, in relation to the, uh, the ISO standard. Um, so again, it's a, it's a very useful tool and uh, you can find out more about that at uh, 45003.org. Um, question, I think this one will go to Pete. Um, 
why develop a separate standard instead of revising 45001 to incorporate psychological health and safety? What a great question, eh? Um, I mean, effectively, what you could have done in 45001 is put a paragraph to say that uh, the, step, the, the above standard also relates to psychological health and safety. And, and, uh, and that perhaps would have, you know, mitigated uh, the need to spend three years in the committee. But the, the issue really is the, we are talking about two, two elements of workplace practice. We're talking about a safety management and a health management system. We now, I think, need to focus because of, as we've gone through the pandemic, back onto health issues. So having something like psychological uh, health and safety and well-being, I think, um, is actually the right thing to do because as we come out of the pandemic, you're going to need to, you're going to need something more than simply forty five thousand and one to establish systems and processes in your organisation in how to manage uh, some of the the fallout from uh, from people being constantly in offices or you know constantly working from home, isolation and loneliness. So. Um, but I came into it after they made the decision to do 45,003. Um, I wouldn't say, I would say if you just simply added that paragraph, I think it would be weak, personally. I think you do need, having spent 20 years working around this area and working with a number of regulators across the globe, you needed something that was a solid, robust, scientific piece of work that was practical. Um, and that's as close as you'll get to practical, but we've got to make it even more practical. Uh, you know, originally that was 120 pages. Just be thankful you got 34. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're right. There's a lot of nuances when it comes to psych health and safety that it would just you wouldn't get the the key messages or the key information out if you were just to amend 45,001. So uh, I think I think that's the main reason. Um, I mean, one the, of the things, Jason, which I've found that's been, you know, I set up a coffee thing, didn't I, at two o'clock? Beginning of the pandemic, someone told me it's only going to last three months. So I thought, that's all right, I'll do a daily Zoom meeting at two o'clock and you can have, come and have a coffee and we can talk, talk, talk. And don't just have to talk about mental health, but it give people a space where they can have a talk. And and yet 15 months, uh, no, nearly 18 months in, is it 18 months? What is that? Anyway, it's a long time, but I, I'm still running it. And actually, what is what has been brilliant is people have gone and done their own thing. I have people, There are people doing uh, breakfast, breakfast Zooms. They're doing, you know, five o'clock Zooms. They, they're finding ways to... Uh, get people to communicate together. We've lost the option to go and have a cup of tea in the in the brew room or at the kitchen. And I think that's really been that's been an important component. Is we've we've dumped everyone in home and then not thought about well, how do I actually do the engagement bit? You know that psychological healthy bit of having people around you and feeling supported. But uh, yeah. Uh, it's a great initiative of yours. I've jumped on that Zoom, even though it's not time time zone friendly for me, Pete. Uh, a couple of times. Just for the a... record, though, I have jumped on. I have phoned you at a time friendly time view, which means you it's have. about <laughs> eleven thirty or twelve o'clock at night. Because yeah, uh, good thing you're a night owl. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, got another question. Might throw this one over to Marianne. Um, to what extent does the panel feel like this new standard is holistically complete? If limited, what additions would help to complement it? Yeah, I don't think we could have it complete because every organization is different. And it's important that organizations can customize 
to suit their unique circumstances. I mean, if we're doing psychological health and safety in a ballet school, it's going to look very different than doing it in a police station. And so we really, um, and this was something that many of us that were involved with the standard came to understand is that any one interest group would say, this is the way you have to do it. But the reality is you have to talk to your people and you have to then try something based on what they've told you. And you have to measure to see whether or not it worked. And then it's a process of continual improvement. So to say that it needs to be complete is um, not understanding the necessity for it to be customizable. Yeah. Just because something's a listed doesn't mean it's, it, it, it's the full package. It, it's a listy because it grows and it develops. And for the record, I used to do ballet, and that's as bad as any any physical activity I've done in a workplace. So, um, uh, but yeah, so it was a long time ago, forty years ago. Um, but there you go. So, uh, but yeah, it holistically doesn't mean it's a complete package. It, you know, it is part of something that will grow and develop. And this is it. It's going to grow and develop because we've got. A generation to get through the kids who haven't been at school for a year and a half are going to be in the workplace in three years the university students that haven't had contact and had those university years to form are going to be in the workplace in a few years we have got to you know we've got to do that stuff and we? we've got to look at workplace and design them in a way that promotes people's health um, and, and the thing is, if people, uh, if companies adopt this into their safety management system as it's designed, uh, then obviously it's about, you know, uh, using this as part of a, a risk management and continuous improvement approach, as, as you've mentioned as well, Mary, in the Plan Do Check Act. Uh, you know, you don't just do it once and then you become a mentally healthy organisation. You just don't follow the standard. And we've ticked all the boxes. We're done. You know, we don't have anything left to do. It's known now we have to go into that cycle of continuing to ask people, how are you doing? What could we be doing to improve? What's changed? I mean, we, we just saw in the pandemic, right, like massive changes. We need to be aware that when changes occur, that there's new risks that are introduced and we need to be mindful of, uh, of managing those things as we go. And if I'm an inspector, I want to know what you've done to manage that risk. And then I want to see what you, I'll come back in 12 months and see you've implemented what you've said to you implemented. And that is the real, you know, that's what we're looking for. You, you've got to commit to the changes. Um, don't put 25 changes in, you won't do it. Put five, mm. five or six changes. Make two of those really quick wins. Make the other ones, ones that you're wearing. Because your organization has to have belief you're going to change. So that's why you have quick wins. Because they go, oh, well, they did that. Well, they did that. Okay, well, I'll give them I'll give them the benefit of doubt on this. But you don't, if you go with these massive programs of work and change and don't give people the ability to see quick wins, they go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to support it. Yeah, and that's that other thing as well, right, Pete, around, um, you know, companies think that they always need to eliminate the hazards. Now, that's obviously what you want to do, like eliminate it at, at the root, uh, the, the source of, of the issue. But sometimes elimination isn't practical, so redesign's better. It's the whole idea of as low as reasonably practicable. You know, what is practicable? Thinking about uh, budget, and hopefully that's not your only concern. Hopefully, um, you know, you're willing to spend money to make your workplace, you know, more enjoyable to be in and uh, uh, more productive. Um, but well, it, you know, it's just, it's just good business, isn't it? Yeah. Businesses that look after people flourish. They they become effective. Why why do we have the top five hundred companies in the Times? One or the first, the top one hundred all have health and well being. Wow, revelation! 
people looked after, people worked better and, and worked work more effectively. Oh, it's, it fascinates me, this transactional model of leadership where you go, you're going to do as I tell you. And then when they don't, you get into conflict. Whereas if you're doing a transformational where you're actually bringing your people along because you're looking after their health, they go, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Um, you know, we've all had people that we work for who inspire us. We've also had people that um, uninspire us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, uh, probably a question that like fo- uh, flows on nicely from the previous one is, um, do you have tips on how to address the psychological health and safety of um, blue collar workers compared to white collar? Maybe over to you, Marianne. So it, it, it is exactly the same that you engage them in, you know, what is it that you need to be able to come to work, do a good job and leave with energy at the end of the day. And you listen to them and you give it to them in the language and the approach that's going to work. This isn't rocket science. This is a really simple thing is that you're discussing the challenges, you're discussing the uh, stressors. And you are looking for solutions with the employees. So the whole issue of diversity, of inclusion, of blue collar versus white collar, of different sectors, doesn't matter because you're engaging and asking the very employees that you're trying to uh, support. I did this with a group of foundry men. Um, uh, uh, oh, well, one one foundry had as. Uh, foundry women in so but the bulk of the industry is male and I acted terminology and changed the language I used to explain mental health and uh, as you'll appreciate foundries are a very fruity environment for language and actually you've got to have a uh, reality with these people I go in and talk in in language that's convoluted they don't get it if I say sometimes you don't you're going to feel crap what does that feeling of feeling crap feel like they get that terminology Right. And actually, it's about that. And once you get people, I've got lads who come in, I'm not doing this, don't like it. You know, and yet, 10, 15 minutes, when one of them opens up, the rest of them open up and start talking about it. And then you run a mental health campaign and you run it around, you know, something that they, that they can relate to. And I think that's really important. So blue-collar workers, white-collar workers, stress doesn't differentiate. Look, you've got a blue-collar, I'll go to the white-collar one first. Mm-hmm. It... it Kind of, it's it, it, it is there, you know, and we've seen that a lot, a lot, you know. In, yeah. in, in we, we've had um, teams sit on a tailgate to have these kinds of talks. We've had them sit on their toolboxes at construction sites. Yeah. It's very low tech. It doesn't require um, anything except a leader who's willing to be confidently vulnerable and be able to have that conversation with their employees and they always say well they're not going to feel safe to talk to me and that then i say okay well you start you start talking about you you start talking about your experiences and don't ask them in the beginning to continue to add to it and over time they're going to understand that it's safe it's safe to make mistakes it's safe to speak about challenges and and they will as you said i was warned once when i went to an all-male place up in northern ontario and they said you know we just want to warn you like they might tear a strip off you they might even walk out they're just they're really rough and tumble kind of guys and like you, Peter, my experience was we started to talk and then they all got into it and they were lined up to speak about their personal issues when Absolutely. they were done. They're humans. They're not 
they're not um, Neanderthals just because they're blue collar workers. Many of them are intelligent, compassionate human beings. Yes, they're not used to talking about this, but that doesn't mean they haven't thought about it. No, and I went to one family, it's a big lad there called Paul. He came and he said, this is rubbish. I'm not doing it. And I said, that's not helpful. Um, but at the end of that session, right, he picked up, uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but he picked up this uh, mold, which was about 30 kilos, shoved it on his shoulder and said, take a picture of this. There's a picture of him. And he was smiling. He said, I get what you're doing. And then we walked out for lunch. And as we walked out for lunch, I was with the supervisor. And one of the, one of the lads that had been on the course came up and said, Boss, can I have a word with you a bit? I was just been in that, you know, after being that mean. I think John's got that. You know, John and our shift, I think he's having a bit of a problem. Now, that was that was instant. You know, the fact that they felt that they could then have that conversation, I think that's huge. I have spent 20 years saying, simplify the language, get people to talk, yeah. get in there and do what you need to do. Um, I've got to retire in 13 years. I think it's 67 over here. <laughs> but, you know, come on. Let's spend the next 13 years making mental uh, mental health and psychological health normal. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's, that, that should be the massive legacy. Do not make the legacy of the pandemic mental, people's mental ill health. Make the legacy of this pandemic is we change workplaces and make them a place where people can, uh, can live, grow and flourish and develop. Yeah. Uh, great, great messages, everyone. Peter, um, I'm just conscious of time. I've got to wrap up in two minutes. Um, just a very quick one for you. Is there a plan to accredit ISO 45003? So I, I think that means to make it certifiable. No. Um, okay, okay, easy. <laughs> some uh, individual countries may, may choose to accredit, but it, there's no global decision to, to accredit it. And I, don't, and I actually think um, you don't need accreditation to do something that's going to make your business better. You should be doing it, and this is a good way of doing. This is this gives you the outline of what you can do, um, you know. And uh, if you're confused, uh, then look at the resources, the stuff that you've done, and other, um, you know, others have done. Because uh, you know, I mean, Joel is a legend, of, and uh, yeah, we had her on a on a, a podcast over here, and uh, it was really good fun to to to, to talk to someone who's as equally as passionate, uh, which you and, and her are around this area. Yeah. We are in the generational change, and it's gonna. We have to do it, yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm really tiring of all the excuses why we don't make psychological healthy workplaces. Uh, what I'd like to add, though, Jason, here in Canada, we have organizations that give awards for organizational excellence, like Excellence Canada, and in most countries, those kinds of award giving. Um, organizations exist and doing the ISO 4503 or 003 will get you in there. So you can get accredited outside of the standards organization. Yeah. And this from me, Jason, behind, above all, watch with glittering eyes the whole world. Let's be positive. And this is Roland Dahl, um, it's a painting by a local artist, but it's about that it's actually let's look at creating workplaces that keep people healthy and safe well, um, and physically. Well, I applaud both of you. You both have such perseverance um, and resilience yourselves to be seeing this through. Um, Marianne, for you, for 
more than a decade, Peter, for more than two decades that you've been working in this space and banging the same drum. And uh, I'm really hopeful that with this new international standard, if, if nothing else, then the language kind of gets through and, you know, companies start to have more of a blueprint and start to adopt that standard. Um, whether there is the, you know, the, the carrot or the stick approach, hopefully it doesn't matter. Hopefully everyone, as you say, keep saying, Peter, it's, it's good, good business, like good businesses yeah. do this. So, and look after and, and pop onto your LinkedIn and say good day, and you know, and come on, come on and have a coffee sometimes. Yeah, um, it's there. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, I'm, I'm not committing now after the pandemic, but geez, this thing's going on, isn't it? So, yeah, you're going to have uh, you know 50 people turning up to your your Zoom meetings on a, oh, a, a, a 50, 50 is just like being in a big bar, so we'll make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, so listen, that brings Peter, you make it really, really hard to finish up these things, mate. <laughs> uh, no, look, th thank you to both of you so much for your uh, putting your hand up to participate in this live event. Um, uh, like I said, I could not think of two better people in the whole world uh, to be on this event and, and chat about the standard, you know, uh, and, and your collective wisdom and experience. So thank you so much. What I might just do uh, very quickly, listeners, is let you know um, that this podcast, uh, or sorry, this this webinar will be available on YouTube within the next couple of hours. So if you've only joined in for a little bit, you will be able to go back to the very beginning and watch watch the pod, uh, watch the webinar from the beginning. We'll also be releasing it uh, in our normal cadence tomorrow as a special edition of the Psych Health and Safety podcast as well. So you can listen to it on your drive or commute into work if you're not locked down like a lot of Australia is going into at the moment. Um, make sure that if you uh, want to unpack or understand more about the 45,003 standard that you do check out the free 45,003 foundations course available at www.45003.org. Remembering as well that I so generously have made the standard freely available to read now. So if you go onto the BSI or the ISO website, you will be able to access that for free. Uh, unfortunately, you do have to pay if you want to uh, download your own PDF version. Um, also be uh, on the lookout um, through the 45003.org website where we have our training program. We will be releasing two new training programs uh, within the coming weeks. One is how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and with psychosocial risk assessments being a key part of the uh, 45003 standard as it is the stress management standard and the Canadian standard, um, then that's a really good uh, go-to. Uh, and also there will be one around building a business case. So uh, I'd imagine with the 250 or so people who logged in live, uh, obviously you're interested, you want to make a difference within your own organizations and we'll hopefully be providing you with plenty of ammunition to take to your top management and say, this is why we need to do it and how we, how we can achieve it. Um, finally, just a, a plug for our, our next live panel, which will be on the, the 4th of August. Uh, like I said, psychosocial risk assessment, again, is a, is a key part of the, the management standard. Um, and uh, we, you know, want to talk to some of the, the best people in, in the business about this. Uh, Adam Nebs is a PhD candidate from University of Tasmania who is supervised by the uh, amazing Angela Martin, um, and uh, his uh, PhD has been around looking at uh, the current ways that we do psychosocial risk assessment. So uh, uh, Joel will be joining me once again for that one, uh, and we'll be having, a, again, a bit of a roundtable discussion around what does psychosocial risk assessment typically look like uh, and how could it be improved in the future. But that brings us to the end of this webinar. Again, thank you so much to my fellow panellists and for Joel for fielding all the questions, and uh, we'll catch you next time. 
You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.